Welcome and thank you for joining us on this episode of the Recovering from Religion podcast. Recovering from Religion is an online community for those who have questions or doubts about their faith, and we are here to have those honest conversations offering help, hope, and healing. I'm your host, Tim Rimel, along with my co-host, Bill Prickett. Hey, Bill. Hello. How's it going? It is going well. Thank you. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to this episode. Uh, It's something that uh, interests me, and I think it's going to interest the people who are listening. And it interests you because you used to work for Bill Gothard. Exactly. I I worked with him in, in local ministry. Uh, well, let me just tell you kind of a little bit of background, okay? All right. Uh, if you weren't involved in conservative evangelical fundamental churches back in the 70s and 80s, you you might not even recognize the name Bill Gothard. But trust me, the impact of his teachings have been far-reaching. And as our guest for this program can attest, it can be also damaging. On this episode, we're going to delve into this man and his various ministries. Bill Gothard received a bachelor's and a master's degree from uh, Wheaton College with his education focusing on youth ministry. For more than 15 years, he worked with gangs in Chicago, where he came to believe that all their problems stemmed from a lack of understanding of authority. He developed what he called seven biblical non-optional principles of life which if they are obeyed and implemented, would bring harmonious relationships in all areas of life. This eventually became his famous Institute in Basic Youth Conflict, a six-day seminar held across the country in packed auditoriums of 10 to 20,000 people. According to their website and Gothard himself, two to three million people attended these seminars. The name was later changed to the Institute in Basic Life Principles. The ministry expanded with ministries to to men, to pastors, counselors, and educators. The focus also included biblical financial success as well as government and legislation. But his overall emphasis was on uh, was strong on self acceptance, biblical character, virtue, as he defined it. Uh, this included areas such as how to dress modestly. Uh, listening to rock music, watching TV, going to movies, reading books, uh, even buying Cabbage Patch dolls. His teachings, these principles of life, mostly centered on the home and family, and his message was firmly uh, rooted in rigid, non-negotiable ideas of authority and submission. God puts authorities in our life, and everyone must submit to those authorities. It's the same as submitting to God. Children to parents, wives to husbands, employees to bosses, citizens to government. As long as we're submissive, we will be blessed and protected by God. He called it the umbrella of protection. If we refused or disobeyed, we got out from under the umbrella, which opened us up to the activities of Satan. He used this obscure verse that said, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. He even moved later into health and diet, showing somewhat of a disdain for medical science in favor favor of biblical remedies and faith. He discouraged adoption because of his belief that the sins of past generations could be passed down 
And if I adopted a child, I couldn't know what spiritual maladies that child had inherited. He also taught against birth control, which became the foundation of what's now known as the Quiverful Ministry, which I hope we get some time to talk about. One of the persistent criticisms of Gothard was that he taught about marriage and family and raising children, but he was single and didn't have any children. He told teenagers how to date. Actually, he wasn't a proponent of dating, but he pushed something similar to arranged courtships, but he didn't date. He told wives to submit to their husbands, but he didn't have a wife. So essentially, he's the piano teacher who never played the piano. There was an one of the things that always fascinated me was the omni-denominational appeal that he had. Uh, I knew Pentecostals, Charismatics, Catholics, Presbyterians, and Fundamental Baptists who were strong supporters and, and adherents to his principles. Uh, as you mentioned, Tim, I did attend uh, the seminar. I attended about six times, and I worked on the local committee that helped organize uh, the event in our city every year. Uh, my wife and I purchased some of his curriculum, and we used it with our children when we were raising them with the goal of building godly character and virtue. In the mid-80s, Gothard's ministry developed the Advanced Training Institute, which is focused on home-based education program, or what's known as homeschooling. According to their website, AT, ATI provides curriculum and training to support parents in raising their children to love the Lord Jesus Christ, reason wisely based on the principles of scripture, have a world-changing purpose in life, and give biblical answers to the needs of the day. And for, de for decades, Gothard was revered by Christians and Christian leaders. The organization grew and included training centers around the country as well as other countries. But there, was, there were internal problems that most people didn't know about. There were secrets that were being ignored and even suppressed. Uh, Gothard's brother admitted to sexual assault, but he wasn't fired. He was merely reassigned. And in the last few years, other secrets have come public. Gothard himself has had numerous lawsuits from multiple women who've accused him of inappropriate touching and sexual adv advances. Uh, Gothard, who's in his 80s now, is no longer with the Institute in Basic Life Principles. He adamantly de denies all the allegations, but his influence is still pretty prominent, and many well-known people are tied to his seminars and promote them, including former Arkansas Governor uh, Reverend Mike Huckabee, uh, former Texas Governor Rick Perry, the owners of Hobby Lobby, oh, and those folks that were on the Learning Channel's 19 Kids and Counting the Duggars. So with that overview, I'll let Tim introduce our guest. So we're happy to welcome Micah Murray, who was a part of the Gothard Empire for quite a while. And Micah has a fantastic website that is very open, very honest. I love this, the opening words of one of your blogs. I love words, people, and Jesus which you just told us you're more of a fan of his work at this point. I write angsty post-evangelical shit. I make kick-ass websites for authors, artists, and entrepreneurs. And then I notice that you're also a dad down here who has a couple of children who enjoy shopping at Walmart and eating at McDonald's. I can relate when I had my kids uh, watching Netflix. 
um, and that you're dating a stubborn, gorgeous, wicked smart doctor who also loves shopping at Target and cuddling whilst watching Netflix, but she hates McDonald's. I can also relate to that as well. <laughs> so tell us more about yourself, Micah, and thank you for being on the show. We're really excited to get your perspective on what it was like for you to be part of this whole Gothard experience. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, yeah, what you said basically sums it up. I I was involved in Gothard for a long time and then other uh, corners of evangelicalism and have been writing and talking about that for the past five years or so, trying to make sense of it and connect with other people who are also from that background. So that's that's what I love to do. Those are the conversations that I love to have. Uh, and I also do a lot of dad stuff. So um, a normal day in my life is about an hour of writing uh, and then about 10 hours of driving a minivan around, uh, <laughs> you know, and and telling my kids that we can't watch YouTube for more than five hours a day. So that's <laughs> that's kind of uh, what real life is like for me at the exact moment. How old so, are your kids? I have uh, four kids, two from my previous marriage and um, two that are, are from the woman I'm dating now. And they are currently uh, six, six, seven, and eight. Oh, my goodness. That is, <laughs> that, no wonder you stay busy with that. Yeah. No wonder fun. you're at McDonald's. Yeah. So, so, Micah, how did I do with the Gothard intro? Do you think yeah, I covered him well? Well, when you put it, it's kind of crazy when you hear it all in one story like that it's just it is a wacky story um you know and it starts out with with what appears to be some semblance of promise like there was a time when it seemed like he had something that might yield good results and i think that's why it was so popular uh for so long in the in the 70s and 80s which is before my time uh but definitely by the time it got to, you know, seeing the results of it and these these children, my generation who were brought up in it all the way through, you know, we joined we joined the Institute when I was in first grade and I'm in my 30s now. So you see the the actual results of it and you realize that um, what may have appeared to have promise at one point is just really, really a disaster. And in so many ways, you know, the headlines about the Duggars and the Huckabee and and the drama with, um, you know, all these different things the tabloids get into and the, the, the lawsuits about the sexual harassment and all of these things definitely grab a lot of attention. But I think that what is even um, even more widespread and more damaging is just the effects of of Gothard's teachings and of his ideas on the you know the everyday people who were in it and and who are now um, decades into that and and experiencing the effects of that brainwashing and and yeah it caused a lot of harm to a lot of people. I know. Um... In, in researching this, uh, people talk about Gothard, either it, those that don't just adore him. Uh, many people talk about him very critically uh, on on the uh, what I would consider the liberal side of the Christian faith and even on the conservative side. Many conservatives just do not do not abide by him. So many people talk about him critically. Uh, many like you like yourself talk about uh, the regrets. Many 
people label him as rigid or extreme. But when you talk about it, you talk about it as a cult. Uh, kind of speak to why you see uh, this as, as more than just extreme teaching. You see it as a cult. Yeah, I think that there is a good case to be made that the word cult is appropriate for the Gothard, um, Gothard organization. And I would use use a similar term for a lot of other other aspects of fundamentalist Christianity. You know, I don't think a term like that would be inappropriate for much of the fundamental Baptist uh, scene that I also experienced because I think that it bears many of the hallmarks of a cult where you have a central uh, teacher who's, who's idolized, who's not really questioned, who doesn't really have accountability. Uh, You have a lot of people who are um, following this teacher with a really high degree of, Um, allegiance where people are willing to change the way they dress and the way they look and uh, where they live in order to align themselves with the teachings of the leader. And then you have the um, suspicion of outsiders where, where what we believe is the truth. We are enlightened. We are the chosen few. We have special understanding and the people who don't get it uh, are just not as enlightened as us or not as holy as us. And so there's um, kind of a, an insular rejection of outside views and and then kind of a very low tolerance for people who um, step outside the the boundaries of that cult. They, they very much want you to be all in in the system and to not not just kind of take what works for you. And so for all those reasons, I do think that that cult is definitely an appropriate term. Unfortunately, like it's a boring cult to be sure. (laughs) You you won't see a Netflix special about it because we have all the boring cult stuff like brainwashing and, and uh, isolation and none of the fun stuff like Rolls Royces and, and sex orgies, uh, unfortunately. (laughs) So it's a cult, but it's a boring one. But there is a wonderful documentary about it uh, called The Cult Next Door, and it's about 30 minutes long, but it's really well done, and you're featured prominently in that as well. Yeah, and that was a fun project to work on. It was actually made by um, a kid in in the Wheaton area who... Um, who was near, you know, saw the Gothard headquarters, just kind of was aware of it, uh, but is of, you know young enough that he even wasn't around during the the whole like homeschooling wave of the 90s and is just uh it takes a very um curious outsider approach to it which is is kind of fun because it's it's such a different thing um when someone approaches it with completely fresh eyes as opposed to you or i who who know this mess from the inside out (laughs) yes yeah, and he did a great job with the music. He, he kind of spiced up that drama with, with just the background music. But I mean, there's enough drama in the organization itself without it. But it was it was it was well done. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a good overview. If if people are like, "What in the world were you into?" Right. It's, it's a good overview. So I have to ask about your parents. Do you have a close relationship with your parents? I I am pretty close with my dad. And my mom, not so much. 
And how how did this transpire in your home? I assume that they were enveloped in the Gothard method. Well, we were we were pretty much Gothard was pretty constant um, during the years that I was in school. Uh, we we joined when I was in first grade, and then. Um, continued all the, all the way through all 12 years of homeschooling. And we would go to the, the conferences in the summer um, locally, and then we'd go to the big annual conference in Knoxville. And uh, But after I graduated, the year I graduated from high school, my family and I, all of us, um, moved to Indianapolis and actually lived and worked at one of Gothard's uh, training centers there in Indianapolis. And I think that in the process of seeing it up close and kind of seeing the inner workings, my parents grew somewhat disillusioned. Uh, I don't know if they were so much disillusioned with the teachings, but they definitely became disillusioned with Gothard and, and the organization itself. And um, shortly after that, I moved out of the home. But over the next few years, I think my parents kind of moved away from from Gothardism per se, and just kind of more into um, general evangelicalism. And they've stayed there? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. And what is your take at this point on religion, on Gothard, on looking back? That's a, that's a lot of things. Um, yeah. oh, my take on... Well, I think that Gothard made a lot of promises that sounded really good. You know, uh, he would roll into a city and be like, how would you like to reduce gang violence by 90% using only Bible verses? And the mayors would be like, okay, this is great. And then Bill Gothard would be like, hey, parents, how would you like your teenagers to look like these teenagers who are happy and not having sex? (laughs) and the parents were like great but the teenagers weren't happy and a lot of them were having sex uh and it was just generally a charade Uh, and everybody involved played the part and i think um the kids and the teenagers you know we we played the roles that we were expected to play and the families played the roles of happy families who had their shit together and Bill Gothard just kept selling his his stuff to more and more desperate people who were generally and, and genuinely looking for good solutions. And I think that that's part of the tragedy of all of this is that parents uh, like my own parents and so many others didn't come into it because they were looking for a way to uh, fuck up their kids and, and make everybody hate God. I think that they wanted their kids to be happy and and they wanted people to have a solid foundation for life and wanted to not be lost in kind of the ambiguity of the sexual revolution. And and so the motives were good. And I think that like so many cults do, um, they roped in desperate and, and impressionable people and gave them some really, really bad solutions that wound up making things a lot worse. Well, he came along at a time when I, I think that was it was the perfect timing for him. There was in the seventies and eighties, there was the the I mean, we were seeing the the height of the hippie movement, the anti-war movement, the eighties, and so I, I think that culturally he came in 
and as you were saying, speaking to parents who wanted answers, who uh, didn't know what to do with with children and and some of these things going on. And so I think that that he did come in at that time. It, it just as as you were saying, not so much offering solutions as as the promise of solutions. Right, and and the thing that he, the system that he had looked good uh, long enough to get people hooked. You know, the if you look back at the pictures of us when we were teenagers, like we looked the part with the white shirts and the ties and the navy suits and and clean clean shaven, and we weren't swearing on the internet back then. <laughs> and you know, everything looked good, and I think that you didn't see the the seeds of of destruction that were already you know kind of embedded in that and and it was kind of one of those things that looks really good for a while and then turns out to be really bad well and he was uh the, the image that he portrayed was not flashy he wasn't loud he didn't scream and jump or move around he was very i mean he looked literally like he stepped out of the 1950s Oh, absolutely. And everything about his, I mean, it, there was a strong nostalgia embedded in his, in his thing for kind of a fifties sensibility of, um, you know, we're going to play the violin and mom's going to cook dinner and the boys are going to part their hair on one side and comb it over. And the women are going to sit up straight and play the piano. And it's going to be, it's going to be clean cut and it's going to be presentable. And this is what God wants. And, I think that he really did uh, appeal to that, which is is kind of part of how his thing how his thing worked. I didn't see any African Americans or people of color in there. Was it was it were they just in the background of the picture, or they just weren't there? Uh, they were adopted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like 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 Mormons real, like Mormons. Like growing up, um, you know, I I had a few friends who are black, but they were they were black kids who had been adopted by um, by white families and raised white. Um, yeah, there. I mean, there was. It's a very homogenous culture. I will say they did. Um, they were involved a lot in Mexico and and some other Spanish speaking, um, Central American, South American uh, communities. I think. But, but generally speaking, um, it was a very kind of white American stereotypical, uh, sort of ideal that they were appealing to. And I think that, uh, they would have thought of themselves as not racist in the sense that black people would be welcome as equal participants. But, um, I think that there certainly would have been, an unspoken and unquestioned assumption that assimilation into that 1950s white American culture was biblical. Uh, so there was no place for any, any culture that was anything other than, than white. Yeah. And the fifties were not great for black people. No. Uh, it's just, it's interesting in, in Gothard's seminars, you know, he, he would have all this stuff where he would, have principles based on the Bible. And some of them were not terrible. Like some of them, generally speaking, were like, if you, if you lie to someone, you should try to like correct that and tell them the truth so that you can live with integrity, which generally speaking is not a bad concept. But then you would turn the page and he would say, 
you'll have stronger babies if you follow the Old Testament rules for not having sex except according to the, you know, regulated times. And you're like, okay, that's weird. And then you turn the page and he's like, here's how you should cut your hair. And it's like, that's not even, now you're just making stuff up based on what you like and putting Bible verses on there. Um, and that's, that's how he did. And so, um, yeah, it, it definitely appealed to a very certain, uh, stereotype. And I think it, like you mentioned, it came at a time when, uh, you had the rise of the religious right and kind of, uh, your Jerry Falwell's and Ronald Reagan's were all getting in bed together and teaming up for the massive, um, power surge of evangelicalism and the GOP. And so it was a moment where, where culturally there was, there was a desire for that. And, and Gothard was part of that wave. I don't think he's as well known to many people as like Falwell and some of those, but I, I think his teaching permeates so much of what it's even what we're seeing today. Uh, yeah. And I think that, I think that it was at a time, I mean, a lot of people that I talk to who aren't in, in Gothardism are like, Oh yeah, I, I went to his seminar in the eighties. And then um, I think he kind of became a little bit uh, fringe and people were like, Oh yeah, he's, he's a little out there. We're going to just roll with the Southern Baptist instead because that's more comfortable. But if you, if you look at the Venn diagram, there's a significant overlap between Gothard and the more mainstream uh, evangelicalism and, and the Baptists and all that stuff. Yeah, I think that was his appeal, though, is that he, besides coming in with his own program, he was basing it on the Bible in a way that evangelicals could identify. And, yeah. and that, was in, that was in my church. I mean, I remember him coming to my church or there, this discussion about Bill Gothard at my church when I was young in the 80s. And we, people lined up to go to it, but we didn't, it wasn't presented in a way that you have to go to this thing. It was presented in a way as that he's teaching his biblical principles for our youth. And if you can go, then you can go. But it, again, it wasn't, you know, we weren't in it. We just took it because it was based on the biblical principles that we already believed. Yeah, exactly. You were, you were talking about some of the, um, some of the things that he taught being um, acceptable and others being kind of out there. And I know as I was reading uh, different websites, uh, s- people criticizing him and people praising him, some were saying things like, uh, let's sort through his teaching, keep the good, ignore the bad. Uh, do you think that's possible with with Gothard's overall message? I would say that if you have the option to eat a cream-filled donut or a shit-filled donut, um, don't eat a shit filled donut. Like it's possible that you could pick around the shit and just get the donut part, but why? And, and the odds of, of eating shit is just too high. So that's how I feel about people who say it wasn't all bad. <laughs> Sorry, I've lost it over here. <laughs> Go you know, at some point it's just, it, whatever good is there is so corrupted. Yes. Um, and it's not it's not like just the I it's not like just the ideas were bad, but the framework, the framework of the whole thing, I think, was was fundamentally flawed because the framework was 
uh, we can we can learn everything that we need to know about anything from the Bible, but not by really approaching the Bible um, on a level playing field, but the Bible through a very idiosyncratic interpretation method um, that's strongly influenced by Gothard's own whims. And so uh, when you have a framework that is is premised in I, what I think is a flawed and inappropriate use of holy texts, and then um, that rejects the notion of outside science, um, that rejects the possibility that there is wisdom to be found in other traditions or in other cultures, um, that rejects um, honest questioning and and coming to different conclusions. There may be bits of good floating around in that here and there, but the, the entire premise, I think, is set up um, in a way that damages people psychologically and also creates an environment that's really ripe for abuse. How did you start to deconstruct this coming out of it? And how do you, you know, I know this can ring through your website. It looks like you've had some changes on what your view of God is over time. Where did you begin to first reconstruct this? And where then did, does that lead in your belief about God? I, I, be, I began to deconstruct this in the most cliche way possible, and that was uh, Donald Miller's Blue Like Jazz, because it was uh, 2005, and I was living and working at um, Bill Gothard's Cult Center in Indianapolis. I was 19, and I was, up till that point, very, very bought into the system. I was, I was a, a star pupil. And was like, I'm going to do this well. I'm going to look look the part. I'm going to rise to the top, and uh, and I was kind of doing that, and was just really all in on the whole Gothard train. And then um, during the time I lived there at the at the cult center, I began to become somewhat disillusioned because it was so um, it was just so depressing to live there. Uh, it was so so repressive and so stifling, which especially when you're 19 is just the opposite of everything that your soul wants to be doing. And around that time, I came across a copy of Blue Like Jazz and I read it. And the first time I read it, I read it all through in one day in in one sitting on a Saturday. And I got to the end and I was like, this is that liberal propaganda they warned us about. Uh, the devil, the devil is trying to lead me astray here because here comes this book that says Christianity is all about love, and I don't know. That sounds good, but it might be too good to be true, and um, and so that was kind of that was kind of the first thing, and I really grappled with that for for the better part of a year where I was and I was praying like, God, which one are you? Are you this, this God of love who is not necessarily a Republican that Donald Miller hints at in blue like jazz, or are you the God of seven principles and 49 character qualities and rigid rules that, you know, I've been memorizing Bible verses about my whole life. Mm. And, uh, that was the beginning. I think that by the time I left the the center there, I was very disillusioned with with Gothard and was pretty much like, yeah, this guy's full of shit. And so uh, I went from there into the um, wide open plains of liberty and freedom in Christ, known as um, 
John Piper and Co. and the um, new Reformed Calvinist scene and Mark Driscoll and uh, all these guys, which at the time I was like, holy shit, this is so liberal. People are wearing jeans. <laughs> People are swearing. People are people are even considering careers other than being a pastor or a missionary. This is too good to be true. Uh, and And what I found there was that it was it was a better system in some ways, but their God was just as much of an asshole um, because the God that we worshiped in those churches was creating people and sending them to hell just for his own glory and didn't really care. Uh, so after a couple of years in that, I was like, I don't know if I can do this either because we go to church and we sing these songs and now we have drums and now we have electric guitars. And this is very modern and very edgy compared to where I came from. But our theology still implies that most people are going to hell and that God seems to be relatively unbothered by it because God uh, gets the glory one way or the other. Plus women still aren't allowed to talk. Gay people aren't a thing. You know, the Bible is the only thing that, that we're allowed to think about. And um, as far as having any, any wisdom or guidance really is. Uh, and, and so I found myself disillusioned with more mainstream evangelicalism then too. And, and I just kind of continued to move through a path from Bill Gothard and, and kind of the Bob Jones fundamentalism that I was in, in high school. And then in college, I was more in, in uh, your Mark Driscoll and John Piper evangelicalism. And then, um, and then I came across the progressive Christians and it was in the era of Rob Bell, although I didn't actually read Rob Bell because I was a Christian and he was a heretic and I wasn't going to let myself fall into temptation. <laughs> oh, my heart hurts. I love Rob Bell. <laughs> uh, well, I, I was like, I don't know who this guy is, but John Piper says he's full of shit. So I don't know. I better not really better not dabble there. Um, so I, uh, I, I was in college and everybody was like, Rob Bell's a heretic now. And I'm like, Rob who? I didn't know. I was such a fundamentalist. I had no idea who he was. So my first introduction to him was, oh, yeah, there's this heretic that says hell's not real. And I was like, Psh, everybody knows that's not what the Bible says. Um, but about a year later, I actually stumbled upon uh, some other stuff that was written by some obscure Christian blogger. Uh, who I don't even recall the name of at this point. Uh, I believe it was hopeafterhell.net. Uh, and they were like, hey, what if hell is not what you think it is? And my first thought was, well, that's heresy. And my second thought was, whoa, that makes so much more sense. Uh, because I had been trying for years to like muscle myself along into belief in a God who I found morally revolting and uh, a system that I found deeply, deeply unsatisfying because I was told this is what the Bible clearly says, take it or leave it. And if you don't take it, it's because you have a problem, not because the system has a problem. Uh, and so that that first introduction to Christian universalism was kind of the the key to a whole new world of inquiry for me. And from there, just like they had always warned, I just tumbled right down the slippery slope and within a number of years, I uh, no longer really believed in hell, had rejected the inerrancy of scripture. 
I believed that women could be preachers. I believed that gay people could be Christians. I believed that Christians could be Democrats. It was just a whole shit show. And that's where I am now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask a, a question. Uh, and it'll kind of take us in a backward direction. But you were mentioning when you were living on site at Gothard's uh, campus and how repressive and oppressive it was. And I've read stories. Uh, do you mind talking about something, of, just giving a picture of what it was like living there? I will say it was better for me than it was for a lot of other people because my, uh, my chosen addiction for dealing with, uh, with crisis was being a people pleaser. And, uh, so for a people pleaser, it, it worked out. Okay. I didn't, I I've heard the, the horror stories about the people who were, um, you know, locked in the prayer rooms without food for days or, um, you know, made to do these different punishments or memorize a ton of Bible verses before they were allowed out of their rooms and all this stuff. And I believe that that happened. And, and that wasn't my experience because my approach was, if I am an upstanding citizen and a model student, uh, things will go well for me. But um, what was so hard for me, well, there were there were kind of two different levels at which it was repressive. One was on a very superficial level where they just um, really crushed any sense of autonomy or of identity that you had. Uh, to be a 19-year-old and have that impulse to to see the world and to explore what it means to be alive and to explore yourself and to start creating um, some distance between yourself and your family of origin and all these things that are appropriate for that stage of development um, to be trapped in an old hotel that had been converted to a religious training center with a strict dress code and a 9 PM curfew and strict um, prohibitions against talking to anyone of the opposite sex. Uh, no tolerance for any um, music or any movies. And and to be a teenager and a young adult and to live in that was just so stifling. Um, so that was part of it. On a, a deeper level, there is this constant spiritual thread through the teachings of Gothard and and through the experience of living um, at one of his sites, that is this notion of you're not yet good enough. If you try harder, uh, you, you'll be okay. But if you're unhappy, it's because you're not trying hard enough and you're not good enough. And the weight of that was something that I carried every single day and have continued to carry uh for years since then and have um, brought much revenue to the therapy industry through trying to get rid of that idea. We understand that. Uh, yeah. It's, it was this notion that, you know, I would, I would wake up in the morning and, and read my Bible. Uh, but if I missed a day, God was disappointed with me. Or if I read the Bible and didn't really feel anything, then God was disappointed with me. Or if I prayed, but only for 10 minutes instead of an hour, God was disappointed with me. And God forbid I have any kind of sexual desire or sexual urge, even though I never acted on it. Um, but just that desire meant, you know, I was not fully satisfied in God. And so God was disappointed in me. And so I carried that the weight of that burden 
that was, um, I need to do more and I need to be more and I need to be better in order uh, for God to really be okay with me. How do you now look at your past? What what do you feel about your past and, and, and your future for that matter? How, how do you kind of see things working together? I feel like my past sucked. Uh, yeah, I would say that. Um, I mean this. I think that the way that I was brought up between um, the culture of my immediate family, the culture of Bill Gothard, um, the culture of independent fundamental Baptist churches, which I was also immersed in simultaneously, um, the culture of I Kissed Dating Goodbye and the the purity movement, I believe that all of these things were fundamentally psychologically damaging. Um, I think that that they that each of those systems does harm to the psyche of humans. And so that's what I was immersed in for the first 20, 25 years of my life. And uh, it damages you, you know, it, it fucks you up in ways that are not easily resolved. And so I would say in the past, um, past five years, past eight years, I have been very grateful to find a different way of living, um, find a different way of being a human, find a different way of, of attempting to interact with the divine. And that's really cool, but you can't just, um, you can't just snap your fingers and undo 20 years of psychological damage. And in some ways, like you can't, you can't go back and have a different childhood. That shit's formational. Mm. Uh, you can't go back and have a different adolescent experience. Uh, so you can be 30 and try to um, develop a sense of identity and a sense of autonomy that you should have been able to develop when you were 14. Um, but you couldn't cause you were busy memorizing Bible verses. Uh, so I think that there's, I think that there's a lot of hope. Um, I have, I'm very grateful for therapy. I'm very grateful for, um, loving and supportive people, especially, um, you know, my partner who is not from that background and in the relationship that I'm in, um, I'm able to experience something completely different. Um, and a lot of love there that's been very healing, um, communities of ex evangelical Christians like myself and, and even ex Christian people who, um, whose path has taken them outside of, of religion and outside of spirituality. But we have a common ground of, of, trying to overcome our past and be healthy, happy humans with good relationships who are going to be good parents. So there's a lot of those good things in my life. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful for the good things. And I still carry a lot of sadness and a lot of anger at all the, um, all the harm that I endured who uh, harm that even though it's, it's well in the past now, the effects of it are still felt every day. And, and not just for me, but for thousands and thousands of other other people who are my my friends and my my generation. Now you were, uh, and, and no Tim Tim's background and training in education is in is in education, and so I wanted I want you to speak to the the whole idea of homeschooling because Gothard is kind of 
ground zero central in the homeschooling movement, uh, developing the curriculum, training the teachers, training the parents. And so he's really, really big in the homeschool uh, uh, whole movement. Uh, can you speak about home homeschooling? Is, uh, is all homeschooling bad or just what you experienced? Well, I would certainly say that all homeschooling is not bad. Uh, I know people now who are homeschooling who um, find that it works for their families, it works for their kids. They're good people, and and um, I think that they are doing well for their kids. Uh, I think that there was a particular there was a particular uh, movement of homeschooling in the nineties that was very enmeshed in Gothardism and in, in purity culture and true love weights and all that stuff. And, uh, that was a mess. I don't know, you know, I experienced it from the inside out, so I can't speak objectively to all the cultural factors that brought that about. But, um, there were some big problems with that. So I would say, generally speaking, no, homeschooling is, is fine uh, if that's what you want to do. And if you have the time and, and you have the um, mental space to educate your kids at home. And I think that there are some great benefits from that. I know that I benefited um, academically from being homeschooled. I think that I was able to learn at my own pace. I was able to um, learn a kind of a self-led work ethic for for education that served me well when I got to college. Uh, I read a lot. Um, I wrote a lot and things that obviously um, benefit me today. But I would say that in the, in the movement of homeschooling that Gothard represented and was a part of um, that you could also throw in uh, names like uh, Ken Ham was really in that um Bob Jones and Abeka, both of their curriculums um, were really in those circles. Uh, obviously, the Josh Harris influential in that. Um, so the the kind of that whole scene has a lot of problems that I think render it inherently not great. Problems that I would say include um, isolation where you're in a bubble of other homeschoolers just like yourself and a feeling that this is what, that this is uh, the superior choice. This is that we're doing the way God says to do it. And so we're better than all those public school kids. Uh, definitely a deep distrust of science. Um, kind of, there was this belief that the public school systems and historians and scientists are all in collusion together to erase God. And so kind of this paranoid alternative view of history and of science that says distrust any secular, objective, scientific perspectives and instead listen to these weirdos with bad haircuts who are quoting too many Bible verses. <laughs> so I don't think that's great. I would, I would vote no for that. Yeah, and I would add to that, it's not so much about the homeschooling, but if you're going to do homeschooling, you do have to people who have to have people who are prepared to do it. Even with the graduate degree in education, my children came to me at one point and said, I would like to be homeschooled. And I said, I cannot homeschool you. Yeah. That is beyond my capability, not because I couldn't 
teach you, but because you're my kids and I would kill you. Right. And and that is, I think, in addition to that, uh, you need to look at whether or not uh, homeschooling is creating an environment for other problems. Yes. One thing that was really, um, really common in the circles that I was in was a very abusive philosophy of child training. Um, yes. With the the book to train up a child that was a, a manual for how to spank kids starting at the age of several months um, with the premise that the goal of parenting is to break your children's will. Yes. And, and so it was not uncommon to have abusive spanking as a routine part of, of discipline and of normal life. And I think that if you are in, if you are homeschooled, that the isolation of that creates an environment where uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse, um, in some cases, not my case, but in some cases, sexual abuse in the home um, can go unnoticed and unaddressed because of the isolation that uh, that homeschooling provides. We, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, we, you know, we saw some of that. My kids are in private Christian school until they were in sixth and eighth grades. And we saw it was, it was a very closed system and they were woefully unprepared by the time we t- put them in public school, especially in math and sciences. Um, but it becomes a system where, like you said, it, it, you feel superior. You feel like you're secluded from the rest of the world and that you're doing the Lord's work. And that permeated everything from the administration all the way down to the kids and it it wasn't, in my opinion, conducive to the the environment where there's open questioning, where they can ask the questions that are getting answered because they can really dig in and, and you know find answers to those questions without being steered toward what they wanted the outcome to be. Yeah, exactly. I, I think one of the uh, when most people n- don't uh, most people don't know homeschoolers or a lot of people who homeschool. But uh, I think one of the most well-known is the 19 and counting TV show, The Duggars, and they did homeschooling. Uh, they they are very tied into Gothard and, and this whole ministry. I think they even use his uh, curriculum. Uh, but I wanted to also talk about, uh, because of 19 kids, uh, what is the relationship of Bill Gothard to the Quiverful the movement, and can you talk about what that is? Yeah, so Quiverful takes its name from uh, the scripture verse in Psalms that says, uh, "As arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior, so are children in the hands of their father. Blessed is he who hath his quiver full of them." And so the idea is that children were weapons to be used in. Um, the battle of the Lord or the culture wars, um, you know, and so that um, the more the more arrows you had in your quiver, the more you could uh, fight for God and shit. And um, which is just a terrible way to see children, for one thing, like from a psychological perspective, the notion that children are not their own people. Um, and that, you know, the goal of parenting is not to help your children become competent, autonomous adults, but rather to shape them into weapons that you can use for your own ideological purposes. 
now just strikes me as utterly reprehensible, but at the time it was idealized. Uh, and so that's where that Bible verse came from. And then, of course, we have sexual shame and repression um, add into that, control women's bodies, reject the sexual revolution, reject the notion of uh, really sex for pleasure, definitely sex for pleasure outside of um, the possibility of procreation and kind of this notion that God God designed things in a very prescriptive sort of way. And there's only one way for that to work. And that is for a uh, straight man and a straight woman to make straight babies as many as possible and to raise them uh, to be Christians until the rapture comes, which is going to be soon. Yes. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so we've missed that maybe, one several times. Oh man. Uh, the, kind of the underlying ideas of the quiverful was, was that you needed a lot of kids so that we could win the win the culture wars. Uh, and then also that if you were to use birth control or any sort of family planning, that you were um, kind of telling God that you knew better than God and that uh, you were rejecting God's will for you, which was to have as many kids as, as you're you know, uterus would permit yeah, before yeah. early quitting and exhaustion. And I think that's terrible. I just really do. Um, my mom's health suffered. There were eight of us kids, um, eight kids that are alive now. There was numerous miscarriages and, and a stillbirth in there along the way. And I know that her body suffered. Um, and I know I've, I've knew so many families where six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 kids was the norm. And I know that the the mothers were exhausted um, physically. Uh, I know that the fathers were exhausted from trying to earn enough money to feed that many kids in a, in a very, you know, traditional patriarchal setup where the the husband is the breadwinner, breadwinner, and the wife is the homekeeper. Um, and I know that a lot of the kids um, have felt, you know, now as adults and as parents of their own that. Um, there's just not that much love to go around. Like when you, when your parents are trying to homeschool you and earn money and, and there's eight or nine or 10 kids, it's really hard for the kids to get the attention and um, the care from their parents that a kid really wants and needs. So I feel like that system hurts everybody and is really just no good. And if somebody wants to have 10 kids, that's their business. But if you're doing it because you think it's the only thing that God will let you do, or because you want to use those kids in order to win a culture war, I think that that's really terrible and everybody's going to be sad in a few years. Yeah, and and Gothard made it as a matter of faith because he would tell the crowds that God opens and closes the womb. So it's up to God. If you're going to have more children, you'll just keep having them. And so it becomes, like other areas, it's a matter of obedience, a matter of faith, and following these particular rules. so And an absolute, absolute um, absence of any sense of autonomy or of agency. Like the notion that, that the individual will, the individual ability to choose is, is evil, is, is not redemptive in any way. And that the only way to move through life is by absolutely surrendering your agency to the, the whims of God and of the teachers. Yes. Well, there's when you still hit. Go ahead. I'm sorry. 
when you started to leave the cult, leave Bill Gothard, did you encounter people who got in your way or was it just to pack your bags and walk out? What was it like leaving the organization? Well, we, we actually physically left the cult center. It was to go be missionaries in Africa. And nobody can argue with going to be a missionary in Africa. Uh, and we were with a very fundamentalist mission board at the time still. So that was kind of the transition period was we left the cult center to go to Africa to be missionaries. My parents stayed there for a number of years. I left and um, moved back here to the States and and went to an evangelical Bible college. So, no, there was really nobody. Um, all of those things were close enough to being good Christian activities that um, it was pretty, it was a pretty smooth uh, transition because it was just kind of one step at a time. And a lot of, I actually found out that um, m- many of the people in the Gothard system were not as devout as as my family was and or as I was. There was a lot of people who went to the seminars or whose kids went to the cult centers who were kind of like mo- definitely in it, but but also we're kind of like, yeah, this is some of this is just kind of shady. We're going to go wear jeans and listen to rock music now because we do what we want. I went to move. Uh, I went to movies. Yeah. So so <laughs> I was as I started to move out of it, I realized like, oh, I am one of the weird kids that's really all in on this and that many of my peers are not even as much into it as I am. And so um, there were definitely people I think that for the most part, the influences that I had were people who were more mainstream evangelicalism saying, Hey, come listen to Lecrae with me. And, uh, and let's go to Christian college and let's read John Piper and that'll be different. (laughs) And, uh, so that's what I did. And it was cool at the time. How did you feel though? I, I just wonder about, you know, you're making this big life change. What was that feeling like for you to leave the cocoon of this organization and I assume that you didn't have a lot of friends that came with you, or maybe you did. Maybe you found these people on the other side. Yeah, I definitely had more friends on the other side. I think at that point I had met people in those circles who were like kind of around the fringes, but were not as, um, not as bought into the world of Gothardism. And those were my, that was my peer circle. And so, um, I did have, uh, friendships that continued throughout that. I was also, um, at that time, I was courting somebody who was also um, from a, we had met through the Gothard background. And so uh, I was 19, 20, 21 at the time and was really um, kind of into her and into that relationship and just wanted to kind of get on my own and, and on my own two feet and, and, so it was a big transition time for me, but it was really exciting mostly to, to be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get out of mom and dad's house and I'm going to, um, kind of live my own life. And even though living my own life was still very, very religious and, and relatively conservative, um, I think at the time I felt like it was exciting in retrospect. I wish I would have left a lot sooner and gone a lot farther than I did, but you know, we take baby steps. I, I want to recommend that if you who are listening want more information about uh, Bill Gothard, about the 
people who have come out of Bill Gothard, what he teaches. Uh, uh, Micah's website is an excellent resource. He also has some links to other websites that can help you. And he also has a link to the documentary. So uh, as we close, Micah, give us how to get in touch with you uh, outside. How did they get to your website? For sure. Um, Well, before I do that, I want to say there's one other resource that's been really helpful to me in kind of retrospectively unpacking and making sense of a lot of the Gothard stuff. And that is called recoveringgrace.org. Recovering Grace is an organization that is run by ex-Gothard people like myself and um, kind of from across the spectrum, uh, conservative to progressive, uh, people who are trying to make sense of of Gothard and, and find a way forward after all that we experience. So if if you're curious to know more about Gothard or if you are from that background and looking for resources to help you understand and heal, recoveringgrace.org um, has been super helpful. It's, a, it's an excellent site. I spent some time there. Yeah, it's it's one of the best out there for making sense of that mess. My own website is micajmurray.com. I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter as Micah J. Murray. And so, yeah, if you want to um, talk more about this, ask questions, whatever, I I love having conversations about um, moving from a, a religious background of, of pain and of bondage to something of liberation and of freedom and of hope. And that's that's what I'm about. So MicahJMurray.com or Micah J. Murray on any social media, and there, that's where I'll be. Thank you. I appreciate you being here and being our guest. This uh, is, is very special to me, having been in that and come out of it myself. I still hear the tapes in my head when people start telling me this. there's six steps to success or there are seven ways to a successful marriage. I find my butt clenching up. Uh, Absolutely. Just, as it should. As it should. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here with us, Tim. Yeah. Also, if you just got some time, go to Michael J. Uh, or Micah J. Um, oh, God, I just forgot your last Michael name. Michael Murray. Micah J. Murray. Micah J. Murray just flows off the tongue. Go to the website. Check it out. It's an awesome website. I just like I just like going there to look at it. So check out the website uh, and uh, read some of what he's got going on. So thank you for listening to the episode of Recovering from Religion podcast. If you do have questions, questions for Bill or myself, or if you just have suggestions for future topics, or maybe you want to be one of our guests, we would like to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at recoveringfromreligion.org. And again, we want to thank our special guest, Michael Murray, our master interviewer, my friend and co-host, Bill Prickett, Craig Christensen for our theme song. And thank you everyone for joining. Have a fantastic day.